Welcome to Greater Truths in Mind, a podcast that seeks to encourage thoughtful faith through open discussion. With Chris, Dana, and Alan. Yeah, and that kind of moves on to uh, our next topic. So, you know, in praying about the Book of Mormon, too, what they're saying, you know, you're not just testing whether or not the the Book of Mormon is true, whether or not the LDS Church is true. So it's not pray about the Book of Mormon, figure out if it's true, and then figure out which flavor of the LDS religion you want to join. <laughs> it's pray about it's true, join the mainstream church. But, you know, even a lot of the, the doctrines in the LDS Church have changed over time. And not to really, you know, go through a lot of that, but a real core one that to Christians is kind of, really suspect is, you know, a lot of how their morals have changed over time, especially in regards to uh, people of different races. Um, I have a few quotes here. Um, there's been, there have been a lot of other changes in kind of the morality of the LDS church. Uh, we've got blood atonement and polygamy. Those things were big at the start of the church. Um, but today, one of the things that still rings true for us is hearing about the racist past of the LDS Church. Yeah. So here I've got a quote from Brigham Young, and this is also recorded in the Journal of Discourses. This is from a speech given October 9th, 1859. Uh, you can read this in Journal of Discourses 7, 290 through 291. It's kind of long. You see some classes of the human family that are black, uncouth, uncomely, disagreeable and low in their habits, wild and seemingly depraved of nearly all the blessings of intelligence that is generally bestowed upon mankind. The first man that committed the odious crime of killing one of his brethren will be cursed the longest of any of the children of Adam. Cain slew his brother. Cain might have been killed, and that would have put a termination to the line of that line of human beings. This was not to be, and the Lord put a mark upon him, which is the flat nose and black skin. Trace mankind down to after the flood, and there was another curse is pronounced upon the same race, that they should be the servant of servants, and they will be until that curse is removed, and the abolitionists cannot help it, nor in the least alter that decree." How long is that race to endure the dreadful curse that is upon them? That curse will remain upon them, and they can never hold the priesthood or share it until all the other descendants of Adam have received the promise and enjoyed the blessing of the priesthood and the keys thereof. Until that last one of the residue of Adam's children are brought up to the favorable position, the children of Cain cannot receive the first ordinances of the priesthood. They were the first that were, that were cursed, and they will be the last from whom the curse will be removed. When the residue of the family of Adam will come and receive their blessings, when the curse will be removed from the seed of Cain, and they will receive their blessings in like proportion. Now, what this means, what uh, Brigham Young is talking about is um, the curse of Cain um, was given to uh, everyone who was black, basically, has the mark of Cain, the flat nose and the black skin. Um, and this was a common teaching for a long time in the LDS church, um, and they could not hold the priesthood. Now, the priesthood is essential to have um, to basically be, I mean, that's the whole purpose that the LDS church was created, was that the priesthood authority was lost, the church couldn't stay together anymore, truths were lost, and the priesthood was given to Joseph Smith, and he restored the church on the earth. But the black race could not hold the priesthood. Um, I have another article from Mark E. Peterson. This one was in 1954, so about 90 years after the last Brigham Young uh, quote. So in this one, uh, this was a speech given at BYU, August 27th, 1954. So Mark E. Peterson, an apostle of the LDS Church, said... If I were to marry a Negro woman and have children by her, my children would all be cursed as to the priesthood. Do I want my children cursed as to the priesthood? If there is one drop of Negro blood in my children, as I read to you, they receive the curse. There isn't any argument, therefore, as to intermarriage with the Negro, is there? 
We are generous with the Negro. We are willing that the Negro have the highest kind of education. I would be willing to let every Negro Negro drive a Cadillac if they could afford it. I would be willing that they have all the advantages they can get out of life in this world. But let them enjoy these things among themselves. I think that the Lord separated the Negro, and who was man to change that segregation? It reminds me of the scripture on marriage. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Only here we have the the reverse of the thing. What God has separated, let no man bring together again. Oh, my God. End quote. Yeah. So these are repulsive, ugly, uh, racist, evil thoughts from people who themselves are evil for holding them and spreading them. But contrast this with Christianity at the same time that the Mormon church was uh, being founded. Um, and, you know, ironically, the claim was that there was no valid church on earth at the time. And that was the, the um, need for the restoration of the one true church was that the true church didn't exist. And yet uh, the church at that time in America was very strong and the the quality of the uh, morality and the doctrine being taught and uh, preached uh, widely in America was uh, so much better than that. In fact, it was exactly the opposite. Uh, Charles Finney, one of the greatest revivalists in history and responsible for probably half a million conversions and uh, the first great awakening, I'm sorry, the second great awakening in America that happened in the northeast of the country, um, he preached that if anybody uh, called themselves a Christian and held the least amount of racism, if they treated a black in any way different than they treated whites, if they were not willing to study alongside them in school, work alongside them, marry them, if they treated them different in any way, then they were not true Christians and they were going to hell. Hmm. And that, that's the quality of Christianity that existed then and that was received widely. And uh, then Mormonism starts in that environment, yeah. pre- preaching and spreading hate. A popular thing you'll hear today from Mormons is the phrase from the Bible, you will know them by their fruits. And so Mormons today have a very high moral standard. Um, They're good people, quote unquote, based on human standards. Um, So they'll say, well, we're, we're good so you can know that we're of the true church that we have the right religion because we're good people. Um, However, if you look back on historical LDS, the historical LDS leadership, they have many um, attributes that would not be considered moral. They would not be considered good. And you read these quotes, and there's so many more. I just read two quotes. You can find just a plethora of quotes from LDS leadership throughout history that are really atrocious and racist. Just There's no other way to put it. Um, but compare that to Colossians 3.11, where it's written, Here there is neither Jew nor Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but all is, um, but Christ is all and in all. And Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. There is no hierarchy in Christianity. Uh, we're all equal. Um, it doesn't matter what your race is, in Christ, you are equal. Even if the world has a caste system, there is no caste system in Christ. And if the LDS church is restoring the first century church as it said it is, then it would also have provided equality for all people in Christ. Yeah, would have kept that same moral standard that, that Christ himself kept and, and taught and expected of his followers. Now... I mentioned the Gospel Topics essays. There is one on race in the priesthood. Go to LDS.org, go to the little search bar, and click type in race in the priesthood, and this article will come up. It's not that hard to find. Um, And a quote from this article says, Today, the church disavows the theories advanced in the past that black skin is a sign of divine disfavor or curse, or that it reflects unrighteous actions in a pre-mortal life, that mixed race marriage that mixed race marriages are a sin 
or that blacks or people of any other race, race or ethnicity are inferior in any way to anyone else. Church leaders today unequiv- unequivocally condemn all racism, past, present, in any form. So basically, the church today is condemning Apostle Marky e. <laughs> Peterson and President Brigham Young <laughs> because they were just flat-out <clears throat> racist and, and providing theories for why black people did not have the priesthood. Hmm. Uh, it gets really, I, this is, this is a topic all in a, all of its own, but it gets really um, crazy. If you just read, it doesn't sound like theories to me. It sounds like doctrine. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. even let's look at that. Okay. They have a theory, some of the leadership, but this issue goes beyond the leadership to, um, you know, much lower, or I should say, yeah, lower in the hierarchy Mormon teachers. Um, for example, October 15th, 1868, the junior juvenile instructor, so this was just a pamphlet that was given to young people, had a whole, um, you know, article entitled The Negro Race. And in it, they say things like, um, you know, their skin is quite black, their hair woolly and black, their intelligence stunted, and they appear never to have arisen from the most savage state of barbarism. So this is an official LDS publication from 1868. That doesn't sound like a theory. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know how you get a theory from there. How do they have black skin? And then you get a, a, a horrible statement like that. So if you're going to say, oh, this was just the leadership or these were just a couple people theorizing as to why, um, you know, somebody's skin is different. There's a problem because you have this so ingrained in the entire church down to, you know, this little publication that's been given out to teenagers. And this is what they're learning. Mm. They're not learning, oh, we have a theory. They're learning, no. Look, these people are, they haven't arisen from the most savage form of barbarianism. Right. So. Yeah, and... If you're interested in looking at different quotes, they're not hard to find on the internet. There's just, yeah, I'd say probably hundreds. I don't think that that would be an exaggeration, honestly, yeah. if I said that there were hundreds of quotes from past LDS leadership on this topic that would make your stomach churn, if you're not a racist. Yeah. So I, I would think an honest person looking at the history of the Mormon church and trying to understand why they were racist for so long and just very recently reversed that position, they would say that the climate in America has changed so much that racism is no longer to- tolerated. Yeah. And so they had to have a new revelation. And when, when did they change their policy on this officially? 1979. 1979. So forget, you know, in the 1860s, we fought a civil war to free blacks of slavery. There's so much writing from that time. Uh, you know, even uh, look at President Lincoln's speeches. He loved blacks. Uh, mm-hmm. He treated them as complete equals. Uh, and we, many uh, white Americans fought and died trying to free sla- slaves, yeah. black slaves. So many, uh, you know, so, Abolitionists were Christians. Abolitionists, yeah. yeah. And so Mormons were preaching against abolitionists. And there's quotes from Mormons that you can find regarding um, their take on abolitionists and opposing them many times. Okay, and so after the Civil War, there remained a lot of racism. That's, That's clear. But over time, it gradually changed, and... Uh, it became so unacceptable in the 60s, we had the civil rights movement. And then, uh, since then, even even the slightest hint of racism, even accidental um, appearances of racism are harshly punished yeah. <laughs> in the media. Um, so it, it was, at, it took all that time when it got to that point, the Till the 70s, when the Mormons would have a revelation and finally eliminated from their teaching. What was that, about 140 to 150 years after the start of the LDS church? Then finally. Yeah, right. Races are equal. <laughs> that's a long time to wait for equality yeah. in a church, yeah. in the one true church but, that's restored the first century <laughs> church. It just doesn't match up. For morality, it, 
It's a fail. It's a fail on morality. <laughs> I wish I had a buzzer. <laughs> <laughs> Big old red X. Moving on. Yeah. Um, philosophy, you know, comparing the Bible and the Book of Mormon slash LDS faith <laughs> to, you know, biblical Christianity. You know, there's, there's some differences in philosophy, too. Yeah. Uh, the Bible says that there's one God and there will never be any other gods. Um, I'll just read a few verses. Uh, Isaiah 43, 10. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, my servants who I, who I have chosen, so that you may consider and believe in me and understand that I am he. No God was formed before me and none will outlive me. Isaiah 44, 46 through 48. This is what the Lord, um, Israel's king says, their protector, the Lord who commands armies. I am the first and I am the last. There is no God but me. Skip to verse 8. Don't panic. Don't be afraid. Did I not tell you beforehand and decree it? You are my witnesses. Is there any God but me? There is no other sheltering rock. I know of none. There is no God but the God of the Bible. Um, And in Psalms 95.3, it says, For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Now, a lot of people say, oh, gods, there's plural gods there. But what it means is people throughout history have kind of invented their own gods. And Baal. so, yeah, there's Baal, there's <laughs> Asherah. All, all sorts of gods. And even Satan is called the god of this world. But he didn't create this world. He's just kind of what people have elevated to godhood. And we can do that with anything in our lives. So that's what that means. Um, so... Not only is God the only God, but he's also the greatest of all gods. <laughs> so so that's, that's pretty awesome. And if you're going to believe in a religion, why wouldn't you believe in the one and only awesome great God that exists? It just makes sense. And you can philosophize about that even more, but that's not really the point. Um, however, when you go to research the LDS church, they believe in a progression of gods, a genealogy of gods. So the God of the Bible is not the only God. He's just the God of this creation. So um, there's a Lorenzo Snow couplet. Lorenzo Snow is a, a prophet. Yeah, he was a prophet past. of the church. And um, I always say this wrong. <laughs> Okay. As, <laughs> as God is... No, sorry. That's as, how we do it. <laughs> yeah. As man is, God once was. As God is, man may become. So what it's saying is that our God used to be a, a man like we were, and like we are. And he was elevated to godhood in his earthly life or whatever yeah. planet that was. And so we have a grandfather God, and this goes on throughout history to who knows when. There's no official end. I've to heard this. eternity, which doesn't make sense. Has its own <laughs> scientific and philosophical issues in talking about eternity, but yeah, it's, it's referred to as the infinite regress. Yeah, so it was like there was never a time where this wasn't going on, and you can never, therefore, get back to. One being who was the being behind all other beings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, Which it becomes effectually the same as pantheism, yeah. which is a Hindu view of, of uh, nature and God. And of course, if you talk about um, infinity to, you know, mathematicians, people who deal in numbers, <laughs> and you say something went back infinitely. there's going to be problems, (laughs) logical problems. Something can't be infinite unless an infinite amount of time has passed, which is a whole subject that we could get into sometime, but it's a a bit robust for right now. (laughs) Yeah, so Mormons today believe that when they die, if they qualify, they too will become gods with their own planets that they can, their spirit children will inhabit, and then the cycle will continue. So, I mean, in the vast universes, there are just a plethora of gods. So, really, our God isn't the one and only God. He, how can we even say that he's the greatest God? He can't be the greatest God if there's a God who made him. 
Uh, it just doesn't make sense. Um, it reminds me of there's this T-shirt that I've seen people wear. It's you know they have the world's greatest dad T-shirts or the world's greatest mom coffee mugs or things like that. And I I was taken aback when I saw one that said world's okayest brother. Because <laughs> 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 how can you possibly say that you know you'd have to evaluate every person in the world to say that they are the greatest in the world at being a mom mm-hmm. or a brother or whatever. So I thought world's okayest brother was pretty funny. So is that how we talk about our God? He's the universe's great or okayest God. <laughs> That's pretty much all you can say. I mean, we have a Miss Universe pageant. Would God win the Mr. God pageant? You know, <laughs> Mr. Universes of God pageant. Uh, who knows? Because we don't know anything about any other gods. But he can't if someone created him. He's not the greatest if he is a created being. Yeah, when you talk about a cycle, too, there's an issue with love. Uh, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Um, but if he's just following a cycle that had happened so many times before, where's the love in that? You're just an automaton moving through the motions that you're supposed to be moving through. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? We're not dealing with a unique God who... Uh, displayed his unique love to the world. You're dealing with a non-unique God who's displaying a non-unique love that has been done infinite times before. <laughs> and infinite so it, times in the future. So yeah. it, it, for it to happen an infinite number of times before, it must be deterministic. Yeah. It, had, it was inevitable that it happened. Yeah. And if it's determined, then it's not from free choice, and therefore it's not love. Yeah. So it's if you're meaningless. a fan of the Matrix, you're getting Matrix reloaded flashbacks <laughs> <laughs> no, with not, the architect. Not, not reloaded. <laughs> <laughs> no. At least give them the first one. Yeah, stick with that. But, uh, but yeah, they kind of talk about that. But yeah, I mean, is that really love? You're just doing, you're moving through motions that have already been set before you were even creative. <laughs> and, and I guess for me, the biggest problem is... I, I want to worship the God, the real God, yeah. the one responsible for all of creation. Yeah. yeah, when you talk to an LDS missionary about that, as we have in the past, uh, they say, well, that doesn't really matter. That's not for us to, to talk about. Yeah. We don't know about it. We can't speculate about it. Um, we're, we're just supposed to worship the God we're told to worship. But, you know, that's a problem for me. I, I can't just say, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, yeah, you want to worship a God you're expected to worship. Well, no, because I'm a Christian. I worship the God that I love and worship because he had this great display of love who, that saved me. Not because, you know, he's just one of many. Again, just do, going through the motions. And, <laughs> and and if you read the Old Testament where God spent a lot of time establishing his nature and communicating about what he is like and what he is not like, he seemed to feel that it was important that we understand that he is, that before uh, he created, there was nothing else. Yeah. And so he is the one and only true God, and that it, it's harmful for us and, uh, and disrespectful for him, toward him, to worship other gods. So he, he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants us to live in reality, knowing uh, who he is, what his nature is like, and what his character is like. Yeah. And, you know, if you're listening to this in your LDS, you know, your God exists in the universe. Our God, our God created the universe, <laughs> you know, which is a statement that puts uh, Richard Dawkins' boxers in a bunch. But <laughs> read a couple times he really hates when Christians say that, but... Because it, it undoes a lot of things pe- uh, people have about miracles not being able to be true. But if God created the universe, then they can be true because he, you know, he created the universe. <laughs> so you can't put those laws of, of uh, physics and everything to him. Because right. He's outside of it. But So, yeah, that's, that's kind of a difference between our God and the LDS view of God. Now, you mentioned miracles, and this isn't really something we discussed, but... Miracles are proof of yeah. the Bible. Um, I mean, in John chapter 20, 
John writes that these things that he wrote were written so that we may believe. He, he provided evidence. Um, there's so many more miracles that Jesus did, but the ones that he wrote were written so that we may believe in him. Now, the LDS Church today, I don't see people flock into their temple with, you know, diseases and wanting to be healed, you'd think that the same thing would be happening. If they're a restoration of the first century church, then why aren't these things still happening? The miraculous things that made the news back then. Not even the first century. They say they're a restoration of of all of it. Mm -hmm. So the Old Testament temple, you know, you had people who believed that if they went there, not only could they get financial help, but they could possibly get healed. But to be clear, we're not claiming anyone who, who claims to have the right relig- yeah. religion has to perform a miracle to prove that they have the right religion because we, um, we're following a religion that we claim has been delivered once and for all because yeah. the apostles were eyewitnesses of Jesus. And so Jesus established his authority through miracles and God raising him from the dead, and they were eyewitnesses of that. And then they, as the 12 apostles, um, who who were given a unique pur- purpose on this planet, they also performed many miracles. And so now we're not in that position anymore because I tell you Christianity is true. I don't have to yeah. heal your cancer. Yeah, uh, I can pray, and if God is willing, he may, but uh, the... That would be out of compassion if he can do that for some reason. But at that time, it served a unique purpose in history to deliver the scriptures as the, as the uh, truth testified to by the apostles who were with Jesus. Yeah, you're talking about a time before the Bible <laughs> where these two guys are just going into a town and talking about it. Here's the power of God on display, too. Right, right. Yeah, and any, there are Mormons who will say, well, miracles happen, but they're just not, they're pretty contained in LDS folklore, I would say. You know, they're Mm -hmm. not substantiated outside of that. Whereas with the Bible, that was a huge part of people believing. That it happened out in the open. Yeah, didn't happen in the corner. Like Acts 26, 26 says. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was out in the open. And then that kind of leads to our final uh, topic we wanted to cover, and that's prophecies. Well, actually, we didn't go over witnesses. Oh. Which was, well, that, that was related to what we just talked about. Maybe we want to say more about that, uh, that Christianity, of, of all these types of proofs, uh, or evidences, logical, um, philosophical, um, Moral, scientific, archaeological, textual, grammatical, um, and we're about to talk about fulfilled prophecies. But uh, of all of these, eyewitness testimony is the the uh, main body of evidence of Christianity because that we we don't um, we, we we when we talk about God and uh, the the truth about God and about Jesus. Um, we're not in the realm of science. We can't conduct a scientific experiment that's controlled in a laboratory where we uh, prod and test and analyze something. Uh, th- that is good proof for certain types of thing, things. For the proof of um, God and his interacting with human beings throughout history, we find ourselves in the realm of history, and history is based on eyewitness testimony. And uh, establishing eyewitness testimony has its own set of criteria uh, for tests, and uh, and uh, some are that they uh, were were there, that they were, um, can prove that they were um, that they're legitimately. Uh, who they claim to be in their writings. They, they've written down their testimony. Um, as we said a, a minute ago, that they have shown with uh, signs and wonders, miracles, that they've been able to prove with power that they um, were 
who they said they were and that the the uh, testimony they have is valid. So um, that that's the kind of thing um, that eyewitness testimony is based on. But what what do we have from the Mormon side? Well, we've got some witnesses to the Book of Mormon plates. Now, there's 11 witnesses, um, but what's interesting is more than half of them left the church at some point, and four of them never returned to the church. So we've got the three witnesses. Um, here it says, I'll just read an excerpt from my Book of Mormon student manual, page 409. It says, while the three witnesses are not related to each other, the eight witnesses were very much interrelated. They were made up of the extended families of the Smiths and the Whitmers. Joseph and Emma Smith lived with the Whitmers on their farm. The Whitmers helped Joseph during the days of translation. Christian, Jacob, Peter Jr., and John Whitmer were all the sons of Peter Sr. and Mary Whitmer, Hiram Page later married Catherine Whitmer, the oldest daughter of Peter Sr. and Mary Whitmer. Joseph Smith Sr., Hiram Smith, and Samuel Smith were the father and brothers of the prophet Joseph Smith. So everyone, all these witnesses are very interrelated. It's not really a wide group of people that you can choose from, kind of like how uh, Jesus chose his disciples. They're all kind of separate, and he chose them. But these are all buddies of Joseph Smith, relatives and friends. Um, <clears throat> so we've got Oliver Cowdery. He was excommunicated. Um, David Whitmer, excommunicated. Martin Harris, excommunicated. Let's see. Uh, Jacob Whitmer, apostatized. John Whitmer, excommunicated. Hiram Page, apostatized. Um, so a lot of these witnesses... They left the church. Some came back to the church, but, I mean, it's kind of crazy that they were either excommunicated or left by their own free will at some point after having supposedly seen the golden plates um, that proved Joseph Smith was telling the truth. Um, these are called the what witnesses? The witnesses of the Book of Mormon plates. Oh, okay. And weren't there a number? Wasn't there a number oh, there? There's 11 total. Okay. Now... The a strange thing about them being eyewitnesses is that it doesn't really seem like they actually saw the plates after all. Um, I'm going to read a section out of Doctrine and Covenants 17, 1 through 5. This is a revelation from the Lord, and he says, Behold, I say to you that you must rely upon my word, which if you do with the full purpose of heart, you shall have a view of the plates, and also of the breastplate, the sword of Laban, the Urim and Thummim, which were given to the brother of Jared upon the mount, which he talked to the Lord face to face, and the miraculous di um, directors, which were given to Lehi, while in the wilderness on the border of the Red Sea. And it is by your faith you shall obtain a view of them, even by faith, which was had by the prophets of old. And after you have obtained faith and have seen them with your eyes, you shall testify of them by the power of God. And this you shall do, that my servant Joseph Smith Jr. may not be destroyed, that I may bring about my righteous purpose unto the children of men in this work. And ye shall testify that you have seen them, even as my servant Joseph Smith Jr. has seen them, for it is by my power that he sees them, and it is because he had faith. So it kind of seems like um, these men would see the plates if they already had faith. Faith seems like it was a prerequisite to be allowed to see the plates. And now, continue in verse 54, Joseph says, Not many days after the above commandment was given, we four, Martin Harris, David Whitmer, Oliver Cowdery, and myself, agreed to retire into the woods and try to obtain by fervent and humble prayer the fulfillment of the promise given in the above revelation that they should have a view of the plates. We accordingly made choice of a piece of, uh, a piece of woods convenient to Mr. Whitmer's house to which we retired and having knelt down, we began to pray um, in much faith to Almighty God to bestow upon us a realization of these promises. Wow. So they had to, Joseph Smith had the plates. He was translating at this time, but for some reason they had to go hang out in the woods, pray fervently, have faith 
and then they would see them. If the plates are mm. tangible, real things, why did they need to pray to see them? Why couldn't Joseph Smith say, hey, check out my plates? So the Mormon version of talking about witnesses um, is has nothing in common with the biblical view. Correct. When Jesus, when John wrote uh, that uh, he saw, he, he stood at the foot of the cross while Jesus was being crucified, and then afterwards when the Roman soldier came and put a spear in his side and he saw blood and water pour out together, proving he was dead, he said, and I am a witness of these things. He meant he was standing there feet away with his eyes seeing a real thing happen. <laughs> No, yes. Like we do in normal language. Not in, he didn't have to pray with fervent prayer, uh, having faith to see it. Everybody who was there saw it with their eyes, not with faith. Yeah, in 1 Corinthians 15, um, Paul is writing that 500 people at one time saw the risen Christ. And that if Jesus didn't actually raise, as some people in the Corinthian church were saying, that we were all... Uh, Christians were of all people to be pitied. If it's not true, then we shouldn't be believing it. We shouldn't be right. teaching it to people, um, and we should just be eating and drinking and being merry. <laughs> A com- completely opposite attitude towards truth. That if if Christianity is not based on real fact, hard fact, truth, then we're we're pathetic. Yeah. As opposed to the Mormon view, don't don't test it. It's you, you need to. You need to pray, and we're not in the realm of uh, of science of reason. We're in the they contrast faith and reason. They don't, as the Bible teaches, base faith on reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's like me saying, "Hey, I've got these gold plates. They're about two hundred pounds. Um, they're in my possession. I'm translating them. Do you want to see them, you guys?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to see him? Well, let's let's go hang out in the woods and pray about it. Yeah, (laughs) you'd be like, what? Uh, I'd be out of there right there. Yeah. (laughs) Dum dum dum. How does that song go? (laughs) Uh, Dum 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 dum. Yeah, Google uh, South Park (laughs) Mormonism. Um. So there's there's just kind of a blurb on eyewitness accounts and their support for the Bible and lack of support for the Book of Mormon after all. Yeah, even the way that it's looked at in the Bible in contrast to the the LDS Church and the Book of Mormon. Okay, so to prophecy now? Um, Yeah. The the biblical view of prophecy, and there's so much. uh, This is... um, There's a real treasure of of, uh, evidence for the truth of Christianity based on fulfilled prophecy, and um, we don't have time here to go through um, even a speck of it, but uh, again, I'd refer you to, for one source, um, Carol Sia's lectures on the authority of the Bible. Another great source would be Josh McDowell's The Evidence Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and um, Chris, weren't you telling me that Josh McDowell has YouTube videos as well? Yeah, he has a, a really great YouTube video on um, the How origin of the Bible. Yeah. So. Okay. And Josh McDowell's, most of his work has to do with evidence for Christianity and defense apologetics of Christianity. Yeah. Um, but uh, here's just a couple of examples of, um, of uh, prophecies fulfilled. And uh, one, one would be the um, when Daniel... Um, I'm sorry, when Isaiah prophesied about the amount of time that uh, the Israelites would be in slavery in Babylon, um, he said it would be 70 years, and it turned out to be exactly 70 years. Totally out of the control of anybody, who any Jew uh, who could control the outcome of that. Uh, you know, this, these kinds of things are wonderful when you consider how they could happen. Um, Let's see. Um, well, uh, I, one that I like to talk about is Jesus when he predicted um, the judgment that would come on Israel and Jerusalem. And uh, you can read in Matthew or Luke uh, or Mark in great detail 
uh, a description of when the Roman armies would surround Jerusalem and all the things that would take place after that. And he said it would happen before this generation passes from the earth. And that was roughly AD 30. And by AD 70, Jerusalem was destroyed uh, in a Holocaust that uh, was chillingly similar to Jesus' account. Uh, do you have any others you want to mention? Uh, well, there's just countless prophecies fulfilled in the Bible. Um, yeah. Well, of Jesus, uh, I shouldn't yeah. neglect that. Yeah. Uh, it, in fact, from Genesis all the way to Malachi, you read uh, every single book in the Old Testament yeah. has something to say about the Messiah and some little description, uh, some description of some little details or the big picture and seeing them all come true in the New Testament, things that could never have been orchestrated by anyone but God. And uh, one of the best known is in Isaiah 53, a description of the crucifixion, which is uh, pretty shocking. Uh, Most Jews can read that and be converted on the spot. (laughs) Yeah, and what's funny about that is, um, so a lot of people refer to Isaiah as the fifth gospel. (laughs) And in the Dead Sea Scrolls, we actually have an entire... uh, or Isaiah in its entirety. And so mm-hmm. when they look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, it's dated like, I think, a couple hundred years B.C. Yeah. So you have Isaiah, and you have the uh-huh. description of Christ's death in that, dated by secular historians <laughs> 200 years, 230, before that even happens. And then we can look at, you know, even secular evidence of Christ's death. Uh, Josephus talking about um, Christ being put to death by Pontius Pilate. So... Even if you want to go against um, the Bible and just look at purely secular um, proof for a prophecy, you have you have that. <laughs> um, but you know, when you're dealing with prophets, it can be a little overwhelming. <laughs> Who's a prophet? Who's not? So, luckily, in Deuteronomy, um, God kind of gives a, a really great criteria as to how you should judge a prophet. Um, in Deuteronomy 18.20, he says, uh, But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. You may say to yourselves, How can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. And so, you know, they ask, or that, you know, he kind of preempts their question. You know, how do we even know then uh, if a message has been from God or not? How do we know if this person is a prophet or not? He says, well, if they prophesy in my name and it doesn't come true, they're not my prophet. They're not speaking a message from me. So predicting the future accurately is a valid test yeah. of someone's authority to speak for God. It's really the only one, really. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Because yeah, right. it's the only thing that you can't control. <laughs> Right. In a lot of ways. Right. Um, so I have three prophecies from Joseph Smith that did not come true. So they don't meet the criteria. Joseph Smith doesn't meet the criteria. And therefore, as a Bible-believing Christian, I have to assume that Joseph Smith is not a prophet of God. Um, we don't necessarily have to put people to death t- these days. To, no. Uh, <laughs> just uh, in case people aren't familiar, that, that was a period of time when God had a unique situation with the people that he called his chosen people, the Israelites, and he was their king. And it served a a very special purpose in the history of mankind of um, laying the groundwork to usher in the coming of the Messiah to save the world. And uh, so there's a lot of dynamics in government that uh, were in effect that we shouldn't try to put into effect today. Yeah. And, uh, you know, especially because we have the Bible. So we have the completion right there. (laughs) Right. So, you know, failed prophecies today don't really impact Christianity at all because we... (laughs) Right. But, uh, you know, one of the biggest prophecies, and one I've been given by missionaries, is that Joseph Smith correctly prophesied the American Civil War. And so I went through and I checked it out. 
um, before we met with them the next time after they had given me that. And uh, there were some problems. <laughs> hmm. So I'll, I'll kind of go through and, and uh, read the prophecy. And so, um, you know, what Joseph Smith said, he, he says, Verily, thus saith the Lord concerning the wars that will shortly come to pass, beginning at the rebellion of South Carolina, which will eventually terminate in the death and misery of many souls. Should have stopped right there. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's where he should have ended it. And then you might have something. Um, unfortunately, he there's a lot more to the prophecy. Uh, For behold, the southern states shall be divided against the northern states. I guess you could stop right there. And the southern states will call on other nations, even the nation of Great Britain, as it is called. And they shall also call upon other nations in order to defend themselves against other nations, and then war shall be poured out upon all nations. All nations. Yeah. Didn't happen. No. And it shall come to pass after many days, slaves shall rise up against their masters, who shall be marshaled and disciplined for war. And it shall come to pass also that the remnants who are left of the land will marshal themselves and shall become exceedingly angry and shall vex the Gentiles with a sore vexation. And thus, with the sword and by bloodshed, the inhabitants of the earth shall mourn, and with famine and plague and earthquake, the thunder of heaven and the fierce and vivid lightning also shall the inhabitants of the earth be made to feel the wrath and indignation and chastening hand of the Almighty God until the consumption decreed hath made a full end of all nations. Wow. Oops. And where's this from? Um, Doctrine and Covenants. Yeah. 87? Yes, I believe so. Actually, I yeah. didn't write that Doctrine down. And Cove- I believe it's Doctrine and Covenants 87. Um, and Doctrine and Covenants is part of the standard works. This is scripture. Mm-hmm. So th- this sort of sounds like end times prophecy. Yeah, is that exactly. his view that th- these were the events immediately preceding the end of all time? Yeah, it's basically once... You know, once the Civil War commences, it's going to be the catalyst for the end of the world. Okay. All the nations are going to be in the, in the war, and then we're going to have famine, and, it's, you know, it, it gets into what we kind of, what people would refer to as, like, revelation <laughs> right. type stuff going on there. In reality, that didn't happen. Uh, Great Britain stayed out of the war. They didn't get involved. Um, you did have the North and the South fighting against each other. So, like I said, just the first part of that, first one. Stop it right there. Hey. Which, which almost anyone could have predicted, right? Yeah. But even, you at know, as an LDS person, you could look at that and say, man, that's, I mean, especially when Joseph Smith uh, gave that revelation in 1832. So you have almost 30 years until the Civil War takes place. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem comes in when you, when you dig a little bit deeper. <laughs> and so not far from uh, Kirkland, Ohio, where Smith was headquartered, you have a newspaper called the Plainsville Telegraph. And so it, it reprinted a story from the New York Courier and Inquirer, which I guess was around back then too. <laughs> I don't know if that's the same Inquirer. Uh, but they, they had an article entitled The Crisis. And so the article spoke of the probabilities of dismemberment stemming from discontent in South Carolina and Georgia over states' rights. It is interesting to note that this date is uh, Friday, December 21st, 1832. That's when the article was printed by the Plainsville Telegraph. And that was four days uh, before Smith allegedly received this prophecy. Wow. Yeah. And you can actually go online, uh, you know, look up that edition of the Plainsville Telegraph. You can see a scan of the actual article with a date on it. (laughs) Okay. So this isn't just something somebody made up and there's no evidence for There's there's actual tangible evidence that this was printed four days before Joseph Smith had this prophecy. So, you know, and at the same time, too, you could read a lot of stuff uh, back then, a lot of different articles about how things between the North and South weren't so great. So because of slavery and the different views that they had, um, economical views. Well, it's interesting. I just went to LDS.org and looked up Section 87 of Doctrine and Covenants. And um, usually before every chapter, there's kind of a general overview. And in this one, it says, um, at this time, disputes in the United States over slavery in South Carolina's nullification of federal tariffs were prevalent. So 
<laughs> it even says it right here in the chapter heading right. that this isn't really a prophecy, almost. Yeah, almost. <laughs> I've heard somebody say that this isn't just a civil war, that it stretches to the world wars. Because it talks about how every nation in the world will be involved, which isn't the world wars. Right. <laughs> because uh, Switzerland never got involved <laughs> in any of them. So that kind of fills it right there. But even then, it doesn't match the criteria of the Great Famine and earthquakes and floods. Right. You still didn't have those in World War One and Two. You just had a lot of deaths and then more nations involved. So it doesn't really make sense in comparing it with that either. So... Well, and again, just like uh, some of the other things we've talked about, these ideas were common in that time. That yeah. was that was the trendy view of end times, of eschatology. Um, you'll see in John Nelson Darby's writings and um, several movements that started in that time, they, um, they believed that America was going to, well, a lot of the American versions of this, I should say, John Nelson Darby was English, but um, they believed that uh, America would be central to the unrolling of the end times prophecies mm-hmm. and uh, that the, the current events, just like people are doing today, were interpreted as fulfillment of things that we read about in the book of Revelation yeah. or in the Olivet Discourse. Yeah. That, uh, so many... So many have been disproven, and those movements come to an end, for the most part, because false prophets shouldn't be followed. Yeah. Yeah, sadly, sometimes even well-meaning Christians will kind of view recent events in America as like a sign of the end times. Yeah. You know, it's easy to kind of have this limited view on your geographical area (laughs) and not take the entire world into account. But uh, speaking of end times... Joseph Smith also predicted the end of the world, so the return of Christ. Hmm. And this was in 1835. Um, In the history of the church, it says, President Smith then stated that the meeting had been called because God commanded it, and it was made known to him by a vision and by the Holy Spirit. It was the will of God that those who went to Zion with a determination to lay down their lives if necessary should be ordained to the ministry and go forth to prune the vineyard for the last time. For the coming of the Lord, which was nigh, even 56 years, should wind up the scene. And so, you know, when you do the math, um, 1891 should have been the year that Jesus returned. Um, Even in the index of History of the Church, Volume 7, it says, uh, under second coming, uh, Joseph Smith indicates um, would be, or jo- sorry, Joseph Smith indicates the end of the world would be in 56 years. And so that's kind of the, the summation of it at the time, which, you know, we're here today. We know that that didn't really take place. <laughs> the world didn't end in 1891. Yeah, and again, that period had a lot of pred- groups predicted that that would be the end of the world. Yeah. Uh, the Millerites, um, well, they they actually um, began with predictions in the 1840s, but when that didn't happen, they revised it, and again and again, and uh, then I believe they had some in the 90s as well. So hmm. I, I'm having trouble finding that right now. Yeah. But um, there were they they weren't uh, unique prophecies, but they were all false. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, these sources, again, these are LDS publications. I'm not grabbing these from anti-LDS.com or, <laughs> you know, some kind of external source. Um, I said you can go check these out. History of the Church, that's an LDS publication. Um, Doctrine and Covenants, of course, for the Civil War one you can check out. Um, the final one is uh, the Temple Lot Temple. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... Joseph Smith had a prophecy that a temple would be built in Missouri within his generation. Um, he said, Yea, the word of the Lord concerning his church established in the last days for the restoration of his people, as he has spoken by the mouth of his prophets and for the gathering of his saints to stand upon Mount Zion, uh, which shall be the new city of Jerusalem. 
which city shall be built beginning at the temple lot, which is appointed by the finger of the Lord in the western boundaries of the state of Missouri and dedicated by the hand of Joseph Smith um, and others with whom the Lord was well pleased. Verily, this is the word of the Lord, that this city, New Jerusalem, shall be built by the gathering of the saints beginning at this place, even the place of the temple, uh, which temple shall be reared in this generation. For verily, this generation shall not pass away until a house has been built unto the Lord, and a cloud shall rest upon it, um, which cloud shall be even the glory of the Lord, which shall fill the house. Uh, Therefore, as I said concerning the son of Moses, uh, for the sons of Moses and also the sons of Aaron shall offer an acceptable offering and sacrifice in the house of the Lord, which house shall be built unto the Lord in this generation upon the consecrated uh, spot which I have appointed. And that's Doctrine and Covenants 84, 2 through 5, and uh, the last section was verse 31. And so the, the spot that he had appointed was in Missouri. Uh, it's known as the Temple Lot. The LDS Church doesn't really own it. There's a, an offshoot, like Reformed LDS there, called Church of Christ Temple Lot. Um, but there's no temple there. There's just a, a big open lot <laughs> with grass on it. So, and we have another prophecy, Joseph Smith saying, you know, the temple will be bit, built here in my generation. But that never happened. In fact, the um, LDS people were driven out of uh, Jackson County in 1833. So, again, they weren't they weren't even gathered there according to his prophecy in dealing with the temple. Hmm. So, so all these prophecies would have been reasons to believe him. Yeah, but unfulfilled, they become reasons not to believe him. Yeah, not not just on these points, but on all points. Yeah. Now. A lot of LDS people, including um, apologists, I'm reading this from a fairmormon.org, an apologist site. Um, it says, um, most prophecies are contingent, even if this is not made explicit when the prophecy is given. That is, the free agent choices of mortals can impact whether a given prophecy comes to pass. So you hear this a lot with the end of the world people, um, you know, various people who claim to be Christians who will say, oh, the end of the world is going to be on this specific date. And then they, it comes to pass and the end of the world doesn't happen on that specific date. And they'll say, oh, well, God changed his mind. People weren't ready. People, (laughs) you know, whatever they say. So, um, what, what Mormons will say regarding this is, well, just because it didn't come to pass doesn't mean that it's, um, it's a false prophecy. It just means that maybe um, situ- a situation changed. People weren't faithful enough for good things to happen or, you know, things like that. And hmm. essentially, it totally negates what Deuteronomy says. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, it's very, very simple. If it doesn't happen, they're not a prophet. Not if yeah. it doesn't happen. Maybe <laughs> they're still a prophet. Check all <laughs> the variables. Right, right. Because we don't serve a God of confusion. So, (laughs) you know, so he gives us a very simple test, but Joseph Smith didn't pass the test. I mean, that's, that's basically what it all comes down to when I look at it coming from a Bible believing Christianity based mindset. And just a rational mindset. Yeah. We, we can't just believe anyone who tells us to believe. Yeah. And you don't see that in the Bible. You don't see any prophecies that were changed because people did or did not do something. Well, unless God specifically said it, you know. um, Let's see what's something that maybe he said. Well, I mean, that that would be the thing. Like, this quote I read from Fair Mormon says, um, most prophecies are contingent even if it is not made explicit. Well, that doesn't make sense. I mean, if it's contingent, then God's going to make that explicit. Yeah. He's going to say, if you, like when he talks to the nation of Israel so many times, he says, if you don't straighten out and follow me, you're going to be led into captivity. Yeah. Well, guess what? They didn't, and they were led into captivity. Right. So that does happen, but God specifically says it. It's not just, you know. Yeah, you don't, I mean, you don't see an example of a prophecy, and then it doesn't come to pass. There's absolute silence, and then Israel goes, well, maybe we didn't do something right. (laughs) Well, then there's, there is the closest thing I can think of like that is uh, Jonah's prophecy 
um, against uh, Nineveh, Nineveh that uh, they'd be destroyed um, because of their wickedness. Well, at his preaching, which was very reluctant, they repented. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a given. Yeah. <laughs> they were being judged for their <laughs> wickedness. They repented. They said, let, let us repent and see if the Lord might change his mind. And, yeah. you know, they, they had no promise because the prophecy was they'd be destroyed. But it was for their wickedness. That was understood. Yeah. So that, that's a reasonable one. Yeah, it's an if-then statement, really. Yeah, yeah, basically, it's implied. Yeah, and you don't, but you don't get that with the Civil War, Temple Lot, or um, the end of the world. No, <laughs> Joseph Smith doesn't say, "If we do this, this will happen." He says, "You need to go out and sow the seeds, because this is the last time." <laughs> right. Thanks for listening to Greater Truths in Mind. Send your questions, commentaries, or corrections to a gospel of grace at yahoo.com.